You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. Now, Federal has come out with a new turkey load called the Heavyweight TSS or the Heavyweight Tungsten Super Shot. Now, this is a tungsten alloy material and it's 18 grams per cubic centimeter density now what this means is it is it's 22 percent higher than standard tungsten and 56 percent higher than lead so it is a a very dense material and it has the ability to travel at high velocities and continue that velocity at longer distances it has deadly patterning and it also has something called flight control flex and that is when that rear braking wad performs flawlessly through ported and standard turkey chokes so if you want to find out more information about the heavyweight tungsten super shot visit federalpremium.com and while you're there don't forget to check out their podcast and their blogs tons of great content Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back. Land and Legacy Podcast. Adam here. Matt is here. Before we get started this week, I want to remind you guys that we are dropping videos like crazy over on our YouTube channel, lots of turkey hunts, and as soon as we roll out of these turkey hunts, you're going to see a lot of uh, habitat-focused stuff. So a lot, of the, a lot of the things and projects you hear us discuss on this weekly podcast, you'll get to see visual references throughout the year on our YouTube channel. Just search Land and Legacy. All right, kicking off this podcast. Oh man, um, a lot of you guys are still, still quarantined, still social distance. It's interesting times. And before we get started, there's been something kind of weighing on me um, during this time. Lots of conversations with various people, and there's a there's a lot of people that are, are really struggling with this. A lot of people that are really, uh, really hurting right now. Our hearts go out to you guys. 
um, just to endure this storm. And if you're one of those people that are just kind of sitting back and enjoying this time or you're doing great, maybe this is a great opportunity to reach out and show a helping hand to your neighbor who may be struggling. Um, I think there's been some stuff weighing on my heart that I kind of wanted to, to hit you guys with. Uh, a little bit about this this podcast, a little bit of our background. But, uh, you know, this this quarantine, this pandemic, it's all a great opportunity to reevaluate ourselves, reevaluate where we're at in our life, where we're at in, uh, in our walk with the Lord. Um, we're both Christians here. Um, but I think there's a good opportunity to, to address this time that you may be where you're not so busy at work, but you're going outside, you're trying to enjoy nature, enjoy your farm. And I think it's a good time for us to say a little bit about why we are so passionate about our uh, our love for nature, our love for uh, restoring the landscapes and fixing some of our problems that have occurred with the way we've managed ground over over generations. But I think one thing that you guys can understand or can appreciate, you, you know that we love native plants, we love native landscapes, diversity, and a big part of that is it's an opportunity to almost pull back the veil, pull back the curtain and get a just a smidgen, just a peek at God's amazing power and the intricate details that he's put into this, uh, to, into this earth. And when we look at it, slow down, take the opportunity just, just to look at, at the delicate things on a flower, an insect, or a bird call, um, all those are great indicators that this was designed by a, a creator and to think about the fact that he put all this work into these little bitty tiny details is a great reminder that if he cares that much about a flower or that much about the tiniest of details, he certainly cares about me and my relationship with him. And so when we talk so much about native landscapes and management, it's it's a reason for that is is so when you do restore something it's just a perfect opportunity to build your relationship with our creator and and be with him out there in the outdoors surrounded by all this wonderful stuff that seems like just so complicated but then we get to bring that back into the understanding that here we are and there's no way that God doesn't care about me if he's putting all this work or he has put all this work into building this amazing uh design in nature i think i think that's a great great point something we definitely want to share and highlight make sure everybody is feeling and and taking time to do the same because there's there's a a phrase or a a term often used in scripture it's called selah and it basically just means to slow down pause and reflect and it's it's like just thrown in in between verses and it's like what why is that there but honestly in heavy times in big passages that you'll find that it's like you can do the same exact thing right now in a time of crisis and in a time of unknowns is just go and take that pause and we feel very strongly that creation in the natural world is a gift to us to be able to do that and to be able to see all the great things and the complexity of nature and just say that is a direct cause and the and and a showcase of the power and the purpose 
and the design of this world that we live in. Yeah. If there's that much detail into these things, I need to be able to see that, witness that, and be a part of it. And that's yep. powerful. Oh, man. It's humbling. It really is. And, you know, there's a song I've been listening to a lot uh, for a couple reasons. It's a really great song, but my daughter also really, really loves it. So I get to listen to it a lot because we listen to it once and I hear, Mo, Mo, peace, <laughs> peace. peace. And mo. so we'll play it more, more peace. And, uh, and so, no, it's not called more peas. It's <laughs> not called more peas. She's referring to more of that song, please. Yes. And uh, in in that in that uh, in that song, they talk about uh, crying out to these dry bones and trying to get mm-hmm. them to come alive. It's it's scripture, but also the the line in it is out of the ashes will an army will arise. Yeah. And you know, this time it's scary times for a lot of people with this whole pandemic. But it is a time to go, you know what? In this valley of life, I'm going to build my foundation with the Lord. And I'm going to rise out of this. And when we come out of this, I'm going to be stronger than ever. And so I'm going to use this time as a, as a time to reflect, but a time to build my foundation and come out of this and never look back. And, and like a very straight, narrow path, eyes set on a goal and get there. you got to build that foundation, that quiet time and that slow period, and then just you can accelerate through and wave, you know, or, or get through the next, let's say, lull or, or tough time in way better spirits, way better uh, faith. And it just, this this time can be used for good. That's, that's right. Whether, whether it's build your restore a relationship with your family restore your relationship with jesus christ restore your relationship with your neighbors or maybe you're good maybe maybe you have a great relationship maybe there's a great opportunity to go help somebody else do it mm-hmm. and so here we are on a podcast devoted <laughs> to habitat going maybe we need to maybe we need to speak on this a little bit so this is us acting on that on that weight as you guys may not know this land of legacy was created in a step of faith um you may f- have to look, and, and it may be kind of hard to see how a wildlife natural resource management company is a step of faith, but I can assure you that our testimony with the creation of Land and Legacy was, was definitely that. And so I should remind you guys, too, we're driving down the road once again, headed <laughs> yeah. to a consult. Yeah. Um, and you happy know, Mother's Day to any of the true. mothers that may be listening out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. We, we know we, we, know know we definitely some. have some females that listen to this podcast, so we appreciate you. And, uh, you know, as as we kind of transition into this podcast. One last quick thing. Yeah, let's hear it. There is another lyric to a song, and it goes, you turned what the enemy meant for evil and you turned it for good. Yeah. This is that time period. This is that opportunity to in the lullness turn everything into good yeah you know yeah it's it's a different song from a different church um that i really enjoy their music and and uh they use that kind of that same analogy but they say that 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 the devil uses that sword or that thing against me to drag me down but i'm going to turn it and use it as a sword to fight him back Mm -hmm. and i'm going to use it as a sword to build the kingdom and so whatever it is in your trials or part of the life that you're dealing with um you know here's a great opportunity in this pandemic to 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 heal ourselves 
and begin to build the kingdom out of this mess that we're in. So, jumping into the podcast this week. <laughs> kind of a kind of a unique transition as we're yeah. as we're going back and recalling all the things that grandpa <laughs> lied to us about. <laughs> yeah, you, you said we ought to title it um what'd you say? Oh, uh, the, the things the, grandpa lied about yeah, or and, and I was thinking a good title would be Things Grandpa told me that were wrong, but I still love him anyway. Yes. Yeah. That would be a little bit softer, a little bit more subtle. <laughs> and it's kind of one of those just old wise tales. That, it is. That yeah. you hear a lot like, oh, there's a, the list is endless. But we're devoting this one to things that you hear about land, hunting, that is like, why do we Why do we say that? Well, like, why have I always heard that? That's not true. I, I've never in my life seen seen that to be true and but yet here we are 2020 we continue to repeat it that's over the thing. and over again that's the most important takeaway from this podcast you're going to hear all these phrases and stuff that we have this said part yes the, the, the first part of the <laughs> yeah. podcast was definitely the most important correct but this correct the habitat focus one this might be the most important is we have heard these said these but but it's time to put them to bed because as you guys have listened to all the other podcasts, there has been science, there has been factual information, empirical peer-reviewed studies that have proven that these are not true. They're not any longer factual or these observations are just, you got to throw them out the window. And so when they keep popping up or we keep seeing these same things, like we need we need to address that and make sure that that when we're moving forward with management plans or hunting strategies, whatever it may be, that we're doing it based on factual information, real science, because if you're not, then you're most likely not going to see the results that you want. And yeah. that's just You know what we should have done? This would have been a good opportunity to have our mother-in-law on the podcast. No, no, um, no. <laughs> I, I love you. I know you're not listening, but yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it seems like every, at least every month, but I would say every other week, my my uh, wife will say, hey, what about this? My mom always told me this nope. when we were growing up. And I'm like, and I look at her and I'm like, what are you, how are you the person that you are if that's what was being to- told to you? Fed into your brain. Yeah, you know, like this week it was. Um, uh, there was a crow out in our backyard or something. I I forget how it got brought up. She goes, "It's probably a rain crow," <laughs> and I was like, "A rain." I haven't crow. heard that one in forever. And I went, "A rain crow, huh?" And she goes, "Yeah." Don't have you ever heard that phrase? I said, "I've heard that phrase." But I've never believed that phrase. <laughs> or nor nor have I ever used that <laughs> phrase. And uh, it made me remember a, fr- a time when, when well, I heard, it, I heard a crow. Explain it. Oh, I will. Okay. Um, I heard a, uh, we, were, we were doing something and, you know, crows, I don't know if this is true. So here I am spewing something that I yeah, don't know if it's true go. or not. Grandpa. But, but I've always ho- heard the phrase, that a, a that a crow could have a more I guess this is a good indicator of of what's to come. A crow could have more of a diverse and and say more words vocabulary than a parrot if they were trained. And now I do have factual, or I guess 
<laughs> Maybe it's not. But from a man that I believe that uh, as a very faith-filled, truthful speaking person, my granddad has seen a crow talk. Mm-hmm. And But I'd always heard you had to split the end of their tongue to get them to be able to talk, which is like, what? Is, where did they come up with this stuff? Who who was the first guy to be like, oh, he'll talk if I if I cut his tongue? Yeah, I he's got to have a snake tongue. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I'd always heard that crows can talk, and you know, crows can make a lot of different sounds rather than the, the call, call, call. But the the reason a rain crow, or why I'd heard that phrase more in the past, is because if you ever know, sometimes when crows get calling, you'll hear that one go crow, crow, yeah. crow. And you're like, what is, what is he doing? And every once in a while, they get real riled up, and it's almost like they're in a there's a whole murder of them, um, swooping around and flying. And there's like mm-hmm. some little bird mixed in, but it seems like the one going crow, crow, crow. Well, there's a, uh, I, I got to make sure I get this right because I had this conversation with my brother, who's who's really good at birds. Like his knowledge on on certain species and plants is, it seems like he's. All the stuff that I don't know, he's got it. And and so he, I asked him, I said, hey, let's talk about something we haven't talked about in a long time. And I said, rain crows. What's the bird again that a lot of people, and he's like, uh, oh, that's the, and I, I said, I want to say it's like a cuckoo. And he goes, yeah, it's a yellow-billed cuckoo. Hmm. And uh, there, I mean. Let me see a picture of it. Their range is eastern United States, all yeah. the way out Kansas. It looks like almost almost Colorado, Wyoming, huge range. Um, that's their breeding range because they also, the non-breeding range is down in South America. So right. obviously it's a pretty, got a pretty big range. Um, but that's what they look like. And, okay. uh, you know, look them up, Google them, yellow-billed cuckoo. And, uh, but this is a bird that I've heard so many people, um, when it makes it sound, call it a rain crow. Um, which is what <laughs> they're calling that a rain crow calling that a rain crow yeah yeah the old rain crow that's the whole problem with and common so she, names she would say this yeah. she would say my my mother-in-law would say things like this to my daughter <laughs> to my wife who's her daughter as she was growing up and my wife will hit those with me and i'm like man the wise tale she's been told in her life that she's the passed confusion. on fusion yeah <laughs> yeah Love you, Lana, but man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people have yeah. fallen into this where it's like, you know, I love my grandpa dearly. And my other grandpa yeah. passed away when I was in fifth grade. But, you know, he was a farmer and his dad was a farmer. And I'm sure there was all kinds of things that got told to them that it was just like, well, my dad said it was like this, so let's believe it. You know, He's the smartest man I know, so I, yeah. better, I better believe it. I, I had a fantastic relationship with my my granddad and he was he's passed now but i mean it was like from anything hunting farming cattle related it was just like you speak and gold comes out of your mouth like i believe i'm hanging on every word kind of thing um and and i think that you know you do the best you you can with what you have whether yeah. it's observations or just there's been so much research that just goes on on the, uh, you know has gone on in the last five years versus the last thirty years and it's yeah. like holy cow we we sh- we've learned so much and the whole study of wildlife management in in the realm of you know, comparatively speaking to English or uh, arithmetic whatever it's such a brand new field of study 
that we have to be learning and we have to be therefore open-minded to all of these different ideas and we can't hang on all the old wise tales to just devote time and and energy and and i think too not just the wise tales but and not just our opinion but also even past research even though research has come out to say this is the way it is i think we also have to go that's true until it's proven not true Mm -hmm. and so when new research comes along that says that that past research may be a little bit off, and because of this, we have to look Maybe, at it and say, yeah. well, that makes sense. Yeah. And then we take that with it and carry that towards the next length. But, you know, a lot of those old-timers and grandpas, I guess, is the, the headline of this one. But it's not just grandpas. It's Correct. anybody that's talking in opinion or talking in old wise tales. <laughs> Mother-in-laws. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those that, yeah, at some point... God, I mean, God bless them because they were saying what they believed. But now we have so much research that's going on to where we're studying animals, specific habitat types or specific landscapes. And so it's like we we have a pretty good idea of of just why it's like that now to where we don't have to base it off of just a whole bunch of opinions or personal observations. Just just think about like what what a tractor seat observations. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yeah, that. But what a what a GPS monitoring system and the ability to put it on to animals has taught us in the last fifteen years about oh, animal usage versus you know spatially as well as what kind of habitat types they're utilizing the times I mean all this stuff it's just if we're not if we're not up to date on our information we are way behind the eight ball. And if you don't have access to that information, subscribe to the podcast <laughs> or, or go to YouTube and subscribe on YouTube because that's what we want to be able to share and base our, not only the information we share on the podcast, but when we go into the field and work with clients and individuals like we're going to tomorrow up in uh, northeast Missouri, we want to be able to and have to be able to substantiate what it is and why we're recommending these things because science tells us that this is true. And yeah. this is the most current science to date that we have access to. And this is why when you do X, we know the response will be X. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, we, we do two podcast weeks. Jump over to the other podcast this week to hear myself and Kyle Hedges talk about conservation grazing mm-hmm. and using cattle as a way to improve wildlife numbers and and that was you know research that they conducted for i think seven years in the state of missouri that was like we're going to study the impacts of cattle grazing on bobwhite quail populations and as you'll hear him say the best success they had in quail populations was burned and graze diverse prairies in that prairie setting with relation to in, the quail and so basically you're looking at quail numbers in prairie that's not burned not grazed quail numbers that were in uh, prairies that were just grazed or areas that were just burned and but lo and behold the best the best success they had was in prairies that were grazed and burned yeah which was exactly the way the Mother landscape was, yeah, it which just works it had, like that. you know, you had grazing animals and you had fire. 
Um, and lo and behold, it's like shocker. I, I mean, we didn't have to do that research to find out, but in some cases we have to do the research just so we can put it in front of people's face and say, see, the research says it's true. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so here we are going to go through a list of some of our favorites. Now, it's certainly not all, and yeah, this is a, a call to action for you guys to – Share, shoot us an email. We love it when you guys email us about podcast ideas, things you want us to cover. Um, so info, go to our website and go to uh, consulting tab and then yep. just send us an email through that. Um, info at landonlegacy.tv. And uh, you but guys, you, but you got to go through that tab to be able to send that send that email. I don't know what's going on with our email right now, but we haven't figured it out because we're not tech savvy guys. And we've been too doggone busy to figure it out. <laughs> uh, so things Grandpa told us, it wasn't true, but we love him anyways. Um, man. What's number one? We got, so, we got a long list. Some of the first ones kind of go into, and I think this is, this is something that probably shouldn't shock a lot of people, but yet we still do it in some places, is uh, you have to turn that soil to make a good seed bed. Correct. And it that kind of a, like that's a big one. Those no-till drills aren't going to work because you got to. How you how, how do you uh, get good germination? You haven't turned the soil. You haven't made a seed bed. Yeah, but we science has to told that. us that that can be a little bit harmful, or actually, it can be Very really harmful. harmful for our soil um, to continue to turn. And so, I think I think one of the biggest things when it comes to the dirt. Is is that it was just looked at as dirt, and it wasn't yeah. looked at as a an incredible environment where all this life took place. It was just oh, that's where I either it find was rocks. Dead. It yeah, was dead. It's, it's not an actual living thing. Correct. It's it's just where I find rocks or where I put my seed, and that's it. So we can we can go in there and we can do all these things to it, but I'm just going to put my seed in there, cover it back up, and it's going to be fine. It wasn't yeah. like that there's this understanding of all this biotic life and organisms and funguses and all these things that work together to make an environment conducive to where seeds can grow. Yeah. I mean, if you went back to, let's say the Dust Bowl era, and you said, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You ran out in the field to that farmer who was plowing it up, and you said, whoa, 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 whoa. What if I told you that there's more living organisms down there than there are up here? He'd probably look at you and say, you're, you're out of your mind, boy. boy Get out of my on, field. Go on back to the city, boy. And uh, now that we've studied this, people are studying it. They realize that that's the case. There's more living organisms, microbes in the soil than there are people living or organisms above the soil. And that whole not really appreciating soil for what it is and looking at it more as just the same thing as a rock. Yeah. Um, that That's really caused a, a bad direction. It, it was essentially, it was abiotic it wasn't living it was just part of an environment and so you could do whatever without repercussions and without you know damaging things it was just part of your environment so manipulate it however you see fit and and plant your seed but make sure that's the only way you get good seed to soil contact versus now we know let's let's conserve that soil let's reduce erosion 
and let's put that seed exactly where it needs to go and not disrupt anything else yep. and, and do it with far less time, far less um, disturbance. fuel, disturbance, and we're off to the races and we're yep. gone. Yeah, I think, you know, there's very light disking that's not nearly as bad as the big deep tillage um, or harrowing or chisel plowing that you'll see. But I think subsoiling. The, the one thing that I guess that I'll say is if, if it requires or if you're trying to use the big six-bottom plow or the big deep chisel plow to plant food plots, it's not worth it. Because the, the, thing, the amount of microbes that you're killing, the amount of disturbance that you're doing all for the sake of growing some food plots to shoot one deer out of, the, the, the trade-off is not worth it. It's not a very conservation-minded practice. And so that's one of the big ones is the, or I guess two of them we mentioned there is, is just the idea that soil and dirt are the same thing. Correct. Yeah. Soil, I forget what number it was. Soils, call it the Ozarks. First thing, soil is not dirt. That's what I learned. First, first day, soil is not dirt. The other big one, man, this is like, I, I don't know how many places I see this, or Lyman. Oh, yeah. Lyman Fields is instant fertilizer. It's it's like, it's as instant as fertilizer. Like, yeah. when you apply it. I put the it, lime on it, and, and now it's ready to go. Ready to go. It takes like four, months. Six, four, three six months. to seven months, give or take, depending on what you're putting down. But like, it takes a lot longer than instant. You know, you put urea down. Uh, you go and buy a bag of 4600 and you yeah. spread it on your food pot. You're probably going to see results pretty darn fast. And But you do that with lime and you're not going to see that change. Because you're, you're changing soil chemistry when you're liming. You're not just putting a, a nutrient there readily available two root systems on top of the ground and then yep. you see it green up and pop and grow it's it's completely different so it's not an instantaneous process where you're going to yield these incredible results like that's why you see a lot of people liming in the fall in preparation for the spring mm. time planting i got another one that's not on the list that goes with liming broom sedge indicates acidic soil that's correct well, that's incorrect, but you hear it all the time. It's like that's not that is not the only no. reason at all why you may see and broom you, sedge. You see field. this a lot, broom set in popular places. You guys up in the northern states, you may not even see it, but down in the southeast, south, and then especially here in the Midwest, you'll see a lot of abused pastures being overran with broom sedge, not sage grass, broom sedge. Um, there's you another one. Yep. Um, it also indicates poor management mismanagement, overgrazing, grazing at the wrong time of the year, rest at the wrong time of the year. It could indicate acidic soil. It could indicate that you'd need more lime. It could indicate all those, but it's not the 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 golden the golden statement that broom sedge means you have acidic soil. If you limed essentially if you limed and, and made it perfectly neutral soil and you still mismanaged by grazing inappropriately at the wrong times you still will have broom sedge in your field. Yeah. Not going to be gone. Next one, I have heard this. We're going to transition out of soil into a little bit of a hunting and kind okay. of random ones as we run them down going down the road. But 
Can't shoot the does because that's the mother of the big buck. <laughs> I think I think we all know that population dynamics are dynamic. That's what's why it's part of the name. But um, man, it, so many type parts of the country, there's a lot of people who who are still very this is fearful. Of, of harvesting does. That phrase is alive and well in many places yes, in the country. Is. Yes, Can't shoot is. the does because that's the mother of the big buck. And if I you know, if I shoot all the does, then there's not going to be any does here having fawns. And certainly not going to be, I guess, piggyback off that. I can't shoot the does early in the fall because then there won't be any does on my farm. And so when they get receptive, they're going to go to my neighbor's farms to hunt for those does. Correct. That, that's You hear that a lot. There's so much... You know the best time to harvest a, a doe is? When it's right in front of you. When it's in range. Yep. Um, and when it's, you know, there's some places where you may not need to harvest that many does. But if you're improving habitat, I guess I'll kind of make a bold statement. If you're improving habitat and you're in a place of moderate deer, po- white-tailed deer population. Keep it at moderate you, deer You population. probably ought to continue. Even though it may not seem like there's that many deer, you probably need to continue taking a few and monitoring your growth in your in your food plots and also in your in your uh, native areas because when the habitat starts improving you can probably see population grow pretty stinking quickly and it'll be out of hand before you know it oh absolutely will and and we've talked a lot about social social stress carrying capacities in the past and that's exactly what you're doing You're, you're managing that resident population to be consistent with your habitat and the quality of habitat that you're producing. So if you increase the quality of habitat, you will have more more deer. So yep. balance it out. You have to bring that habitat quality up. You you get your your habitat to uh, uh, like maximum production, but keep that herd density down below maximum density if you really want to grow some big deer. And, and a lot of times when it's almost like when you see that correlation where an area is using that can't shoot the does because that's the mother of the big bucks. Those are the people who are dealing with so many does that they're not seeing as many good deer because there's just so much stress or so much uh, the the productiveness of the habitat well, is not nearly as good. So deer just don't have as much resources to, to express themselves. If that's the case, there's not enough bucks to even get to. Uh, an older age class because if you're not shooting does a lot of people aren't going to just not shoot a deer so they're going to shoot bucks at younger ages although leopold's five tools for wildlife management was an axe a plow uh a fire Fire. um grazing a cow and then also a a gun Mm -hmm. and the gun one gets missed a lot and certainly we know the cow is getting missed a lot um, Heck, dude, they all get missed. <laughs> <laughs> they do, but it seems like people just forget to harvest does and keep on top of their population. Yeah. Because it is fun to watch deer. It's certainly fun to go to a food plot and see a bunch of deer pile in. But if you're going to humble yourself and think about what's best for the herd, you also know that you need to keep that herd density down to where they don't become overpopulated. Absolutely. And, and yes, of course they're mothers of big bucks, but you're not going to have big bucks if you don't manage all <laughs> the other things. Yeah, if your population gets out of control. Yep. So, um, man, I heard this one so much as a kid. Okay. That 
it honestly, and, and I don't know what age I was like. I don't know if that makes any sense because that don't make no sense at all. Cows up feeding means the deer are up feeding. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. one, if one is grazing, the other one's browsing. I mean, yeah, that's just fact. I heard it so much <laughs> that it would. I can't remember. This comes from a buddy of mine. His grandpa said it a lot, and bless his heart. But it was like. Almost to a point where if we would be at the cabin and the cows all of a sudden would be coming by grazing, it was like, well, we better head to the stand. <laughs> and I was just like, words to live by. Whew. I'm, uh, yeah. Nope. 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 They just don't work like that. Phys- and, uh, physiology of these animals is different. Drivers totally different. Ev- grazing and browsing patterns. Totally different. Once, animals once fenced in once domestic <laughs> once wild yeah it just doesn't work like i, I that. will say I, the only thing that i i will agree on is that they do both play into barometric pressures and changes but i don't think that there is a direct correlation between feeding and bedding um between the two animals no not at all I, i'll agree on that but that's as far as i'm taking it yeah Another one that's pretty popular, cow uh, wind from the east, deer move the least. I'll tell you what, southeast wind, east wind is not a great wind, but, man, there's some killers. I've got some killer stands for southeast winds. And they're always underestimated. We, yeah. I, Growing up in Virginia, you know, we would get a lot of weather patterns that came up from the south, and uh, we weren't. I mean, we were two hours off the coast, but tell me a big coastline doesn't impact weather and changes. Um, yeah, it, it definitely will. So anything like that, you better prepare for them. You better have those stay-in locations southeast, east, because they will happen. And what, you're going to tell me that deer's not going to move when it's east? Well, what yeah. if the pressure's right? What if all these other factors? What if it's coming? What if the storm front came from yeah. the, from that way? You 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 can't uh, you can't play that game when it yeah. comes to stand locations and pr- preparing a property. Um, you need easterly sets. Yep. All right. Next one. Timber means habitat. Deer live where there's trees. Bingo. I've seen this one a lot. It seems like real estate is a big part of this where it's like oh oh, this farm mostly tillable but it's got plenty of big trees habitat for the deer cover it's got cover yeah like good cover timber means cover well yeah no kidding they're not going to be bedded out in a crop field and they're not going to be bedded out in a middle of a pasture so just because there's trees and that's where deer are at majority of the time does not mean that that is cover for deer yeah We, we we've cover this probably way too many times but but then again we still see it being used in those phrases and those lies uh, uh, about what true cover is for wildlife we we completely missed the ball um you really have to look at your surrounding and be very critical of okay if if deer are in there the most frequently everything else around it must be junk yeah I if think that's what you're saying is true quality, great cover in your area, I, you need some facelift on some habitat around that area. Yeah. And it, I think, too, you can't overlook the power of just sunlight and 
and energy. No. Uh, because I've gotten to a point where, depending on the woodlot, now I, I would have to, there's not enough time to describe the comparisons because it probably could be a whole podcast, is, and I think somebody somebody wants us to do a podcast where you and I sit down okay. with a blank sheet of paper and draw out our ideal farm. Oh, gosh. And I'm like, I don't know if there's enough time in three podcasts to do that. Draw Uh, it out? Wow. Yeah, just like it's a blank slate. It's a blank slate. Yeah, we can add elevation. We can add flat. We can can add all different vegetation types. It's like, it's what was that game, Sim 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 City, City, I think? Yeah, but for honey properties. I think they used that analogy (laughs) with us. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) And so maybe that's a game we'll create an app. Software. Yeah. 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 App game, um, yeah. The app game, yeah. They make an app for everything. So Could, can we intentionally grow these 200-inch deer and you, be like, I want eight coveys, go. Yeah. <laughs> 200, man. People kill 200s everywhere now. That's it's true. 250 is the new mark. 250s. Um, and basically, if there's certain woodlots that I would say – I'd rather have old field, and I'm just going to plant a whole bunch of shrubs because I can get to quality habitat and quality cover and forage quicker than I can trying to manage timber lot, this timber lot. Way faster. Because, you know, you you give an American plum some of our native shrubs full sun or the perfect conditions, they can grow foot, two foot, three foot foot in a year. And, uh, you know, I cut a tree... Or I have to deal with these trees. You know, sometimes, too, big trees, I don't, I have to assess myself and say, is cutting this tree worth, is it worth the deer habitat? Like, I I can't justify cutting a tree that's been here for who knows how long just so I can have better cover. This, this area doesn't require is this is I'm trying to make this thing something that it's not this place yeah. wants to be a forest I don't need to cut every tree sure and uh, anyway you know so there's another podcast topic for the future but at the same time understand that just because of trees that doesn't mean that that's great cover uh, oftentimes the height of the tree is reducing cover where deer, turkeys, quail, all the game species we're, we're caring about live at it's in most like, cases. I don't know. The further the further you go away from your home base, the more lost you are, the more astray you've gone. Um, and when a tree starts to grow, as it continues to grow up, depending on the species, with each year it grows, the the value of that tree goes down for the wildlife. Yeah, and and so I think like sometimes we look at trees and we're like, oh, this is great, but if you just put a stopwatch sound in your head and it's going tick 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 tick, and you're looking at your trees without any management, prescribed fire, thinning, chainsaw work, things like that going on, that tick 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 is just going. Every tick means that it's getting a little worse and a little worse and a little worse because of the lack. Of energy that is then reaching the ground. Yeah, cattle and wildlife can't go together. Oh, listen man. to the podcast, the other podcast this week with Kyle and I um, to talk about hey, that. You know, and theory. I and I believe this wholeheartedly um, for a portion of my life. Yeah, 
And oh, yeah. I, I, it was drilled because, almost into me. you know, I don't need to talk about it a whole lot, but cattle, I think when we picture cattle, especially as hunters, we think of overgrazed pasture, bumping in you the woods, things hunts. like that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, keep them out of the woods, keep them moving, keep a rotation going. It can probably be pretty doggone productive. It can be productive, and there's just it, – it all goes back to what are the goals that you have for the management of of a given property. The species that you're looking to manage for, a lot of times when we're looking at quail and wild turkeys, they need disturbance, yeah. and they need it often. And you can't be out there, but guess what cattle are 24-7. That's They're right. out there making a disturbance. That's yep. working for you if you can use them to I'm your advantage. I'm giving you fertilizer back. Yeah. What you uh, got? Turkeys are the reason there's no more quail. I heard it. You know, this is a popular <laughs> one in Kansas. Yeah. Um, because as the quail were declining, turkey population was rising. So, therefore, direct correlation. Therefore. Yeah. I mean, shoot, they're just replacing each other. And turkeys do eat a lot of random things. And there might have been instances where somebody saw them eat a quail chick because they looked like a big bumblebee. bumblebee. Sure. But that's not like turkeys are going out predating on young quail. Let me find them quail now. I'm going to stomp them. I just just got to run mama off, and then I'm going to get a whole bunch of bumblebees here. Yeah, no. Um, And by bumblebees, I mean baby quail. But... Yeah, that, that, that's not true. Stop it. Grandpa, I hear come that on. so much. That's a coffee shop right there. What is that? Pooling of ignorance. As, yes. uh, James Earl Kinnemer said on the <laughs> podcast, oh, man, we just die. We, we never laughed. heard it. Yeah, everyone down there at the, at the barbershop pooling their ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's barbershop oh, talk. Deer eat grass. Oh, yeah, they're, out, they're just out there in that pasture eating grass. Listen, <laughs> deer, the, the a percentage of... Of a deer's diet, as diverse as it is, the percentage that is actual grass that you're going to find in a pasture like is so specifically small. pasture grasses, broom, uh, uh, smooth brome, tall fescue, bahia oh, yeah. grass, Bermuda, Bermuda they're, all those. They're not foraging. On if, that. if they're eating that, they're starving. It's b- 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 bad. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're not eating that. There's likely don't, other... Don't stand still too long. They might come and try to eat the clothes off your back. <laughs> like goats. <laughs> yeah. Eat the leather right off your boot. Yeah. But uh, there's clovers in there, guys, that, that they're foraging or, on. Or and, weeds. Yeah. Just don't... Don't... Just because you see them in the field yeah, doesn't mean they're eating the, pasture, the main thing. pasture with quality forage. Yeah. There's better things that we can offer. Once a spike, always a spike. Man... Why do we keep turning up this stone, man? It's like every time you turn around, that's a somebody's making that statement. What I don't understand is that here we're we're managing a species that it drops its antlers every year, and we have we have trail cameras, we have hunter observations, we have like if if a deer was once a spike, always a spike. Do you know how many spike shed antlers there would be oh. out there? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but we I've have we have so much observations of antlers, and and yet we sh- still sometimes are thinking that a deer once it's a spike will never 
be anything more than just a spike. Yeah, so piggyback that one, we're going to say culling works in free-ranging oh, deer. Lord I, have thinking mercy. The, uh, thinking you have the ability to impact the genetic pool of your area is like thinking that you can control... The, uh, coronavirus <laughs> yeah, or you can control the shark population by fishing off of a pier like you That's have true you have no chance and uh i guess Baby unless you were shark yeah <laughs> no if, I, I don't get it because it's like do you there's do, so much research that proves that wrong it, we don't we just did a podcast on this we shouldn't have to spend much time on it but yeah golly coaling just keeps coming up you you can't even accurately look at a deer and say it's expressing X amount of its genetic potential. That that doesn't work. And there's yep. so many other environmental factors that impact and influence that on a given yearly basis. Don't work like that. Yeah. Oh, another one. It's not on the list, but we'll get to this one was before I forget it. We talked about it a little bit pre-show, but I didn't add it to it. But there's no predators in the, there was no natural predators in the east. Correct. Basically, people Heard were saying that coyotes weren't natural, weren't weren't on the landscape in the eastern part of the U.S. Um, so they didn't have predators. So those prey species didn't have predators. And it, it was late '90s, early 2000s when they started coyotes really in, in my area where yeah. I grew up really started getting. I say really started getting. It's like. You know, someone saw one, and it was the talk of the town, the yeah. area, for, for the next three weeks. And then nothing nothing happened. And then, like, three months later, someone else saw another one. Like, they were creeping in at that time. Yeah. And, and I, re- I remember it. I was growing up at that time. But, like, that's how recent they, they are, let's yeah. say, to central Virginia. But in all reality, guys, there's been predators in, in the east for Ages. There was and way ages more black bears. Ages. Way yeah. more black bears than than there was than there are now. Red even. foxes and, and gray foxes. Yep. And then also going way back, the red wolves. Mm-hmm. And uh, not many of those anymore. But that's kind of a a phrase that pre- we can make a whole podcast on wise tales about predators. But to save you guys, predator rants again, um, we're not going to do it. Um, uh, only hunt turkeys off the roost. <laughs> I I still kick myself every year I think about turkey hunting. I'm like, I wish my dad. Your would dad have... still hunts this way, doesn't he? Oh yeah. Well, he's too busy, man. He's retired. Yeah. He's he's one of those guys who's too like too busy. Cows cows, cows aren't to gonna be... overgraze that pasture by yeah. themselves. Yeah, I need to watch him do it at least. <laughs> yeah. I need to witness it. So I better go and check on them. So the cows are always important. The garden's always important. That wood is not going to cut itself. So, I mean, yeah. if you hunted a turkey. Winter's coming, boys. <laughs> yes. We got 10 months. Winter's coming. Yeah. But if you're hunting a daggum turkey, it was only till 8 o'clock in the morning where I was growing up. And I look back. And the funny thing is the first turkey that I killed by myself, like, went out, called in. Not, no lie, my, and this is kind of ironic that we're talking about it. My dad and my granddad were together on the property cutting wood, and I was like, screw that. I'm going turkey hunting. And it was later in the morning, 1030, and I went out. I called in a turkey, and I brought it back, slung over my shoulder, and they're there splitting wood. And I'm like, this is why you don't hunt turkeys, or you stop hunting turkeys after fly down. Like, come on now. Yeah. And uh, there they were cutting wood oh man next one um 
a good spot is a good spot, no matter the wind. Uh, I mean, it's like <laughs> opening day, deer <laughs> camp. I'm going back to that spot. It's wind. a good spot. Tradition doesn't necessarily make a spot good from day to day or or time of the day you're hunting. Winds change. You can ruin a spot. It could be a, let's say it could be a great spot, but on those conditions, it's a horrible spot. And I think the why you see some of those man, I almost hate to say it, gun hunting, it seems like gun season that kind of comes out where it's yeah. like, well, I shoot them before know. they smell me. And and there's a pretty good chance they haven't hunted that spot all fall. So they're going in at the prime time, November 10th. Yeah. And they're going into the, one of the and, best spots on the farm. And deer and the running everywhere. can be a little iffy. Deer running everywhere and there's people all through the woods. So these yeah. patterns are like, well, what patterns? <laughs> yeah. I'm running them through a bottleneck yeah. or my neighbor yeah. is. Yeah. Um, moon overhead, deer moving. <laughs> you know, there's so much research that has has proven that, you know, moon phase doesn't affect the rut. Moon phase doesn't affect movement. Now, I think there's some, I haven't seen the research that shows, like, moon position and things like that. But at the same time... Because it's There's not a complete much, if, circular If you're orbit. wanting to base everything or figure out deer travel, when they're going to move, weather is the trump card. Correct. And I think that it doesn't matter. All these conditions, if you've got a front moving in or a front just, weather is going to push deer and cause them to move. So, like, if I look out and say, how would you draw a line graph of what you'd like the weather to be? I'd like to see a lot of up and down, a lot of valleys and a lot of mountains because those changes, those up, jump up and down are great. I wouldn't want it to be perfect conditions, and by perfect weather conditions, I mean I want temperatures in the 20s getting up into the 40s. I wouldn't want that for a week and a half straight because no. that change, even though that that's awesome, that I need those changes. And so... That truly, those changes and, and Weather's differences. Weather's trump card. Yeah. That gets deer moving. Yeah. Uh, cutting your woods. So timber harvest means it's just going to grow up and brush and be bad for the wildlife. I think that there is... We experienced this just three years ago when we yes, cut timber. Yes, we, we cut timber on the Prairie Hall property. It. And it was like, oh, but you guys are wrecking those woods. What are you going to do? Like, what are the deer going to eat? You're cutting all the oak trees. Oh, Wait. my goodness. Wait. And now they drive by looking at it, how pretty it is. Drooling. Yeah. It's funny because I think that observations, obviously to observe something you have to see. And, and if you're cutting timber and it's getting, quote, air quote, thick, you can't see. So they feel like they're missing out on observations. But in the back of their head when they say something like this, they know deep down. And that it's good, but they just can't witness it and observe it. Therefore, the value to them has decreased, but the value to wildlife has drastically increased. But there's a definite difference between your observations mm-hmm. and <laughs> the usage of wildlife. Yeah. Clumpy deer scat or the ball up deer scat is buck poop. <laughs> I love it. I love it when we were just inspecting turds to determine if it's a buck or a doe. Well, he must have not had that much fiber last night. Like, yeah. what? Deer, deer, 
It, deer, it, what can to depict if a deer scat is clumpy is what their diet consists of. Is it the first clump out of a bed, so to say? Deer defecate like 20 times a day. So it's like, why are we examining putting this much? Unless unless there's a high density of of, an, of scat in an area, I'm like, oh, they're feeding here. Or they're probably bedding here. So I'm... I'm yeah. I'm going to use that, but if I just see it randomly strung out through the woods, I don't care what shape, I don't care what form it's in. It's deer poop. I don't even care what color it is. (laughs) It's deer poop, man. And and it's not like turkeys where a J shape is a gobbler and clumpy is, is a hen. It's like, well, I don't know why it's clumpy. It could be its diet or it could be the timing of when it got out of its bed, the first, the first scat out of its bed. I, I don't know. But I do know one thing. It's not buck or doe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, predators are bad. Coyotes are eating all the game. Eating I mean, we talked everything. about that. That We don't need to no. divulge on that a whole lot. But how many times you hear that? The, there's no more turkeys because of coyotes. There's no, the deer are struggling because of coyotes. There's no more quail because of coyotes. I feel like the poor coyote is just this beat down. Villain. 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 I mean, it's like we have to have our scapegoat just to say this is it. Well, well, it maybe, could, maybe we couldn't accept blame, but we, yeah. there's no for, there's no reason why we would put the blame on us. So it's got to be the guy. I think the best wildlife management tool that a person could carry with them is a mirror. Uh huh. Here's the other thing: like when when we're saying all these different scenarios or phrases that commonly get used. I don't want to say or stereotype, let's say, people or grandpas, but, like, these, like, I feel like if certain individuals are using one of these lines, they're probably using multiple of, yeah. of the lines. So it's like, let's not base, like, if, if you find some of them ridiculous to to hear, then then why are you listening to all the other things and, and, yeah. and, and putting faith into those thoughts and phrases as well. And, and and I think we should say, we've got a few more of these, but we should also say that this isn't trying to, like, we're trying to, man, just save you guys so much time and save you money on avoiding the mistakes that we just keep doing over and over and over when what we want for you guys is to ha- to reach your goals. We want you to have all the wildlife you want on your farm. We want you to enjoy it with your family more. We want you to kill the biggest deer in the neighborhood that you can or, ever or- even dream of. We want all of that for you. And at some point to get there, we have to stop thinking that the tools or techniques we've used for 20 years are going to get us there. Because... 20 years they've proved to us that they're not and i think you could if you took a 10-year window and you said i managed this farm for 10 years well if you manage that farm for 10 years and you haven't reached the goals you want it's time for a drastic change it's time for you to do something or if i get there or one of us gets there and it doesn't look i can't see like incredible results after 10 years then then things aren't developing it, imagine if the medical field didn't develop or change for 10 years you imagine how many more individuals would be let's say suffering like techniques have to adapt over time with more information new research for the medical field is done and executed and analyzed and put to work every single day We've got to be able to do the same thing. We we can't just rely on all this 
old information to bring us new value and change in this current day that we know more and more and more about wildlife. Yeah. These next two are funny because they're the exact opposite, but they equal the same thing. Big woods mean big deer, which is like, (laughs) and we say this is like, if you see a big old chunk of timber on a map, that means there's got to be some big deer in there. When I see a big old chunk of timber on a on a map, I say, well, there might be the chance that there's a, there's the ability for a deer to get old, which is the number one thing in bigger deer is age. So maybe that's what we're correlating. But just because you see big timber doesn't mean there's going to be big deer in there. Not at all. In fact, if you see big chunk of timber and it, and you realize it's probably not been managed, it's not been cut, it's wide open, probably has a low deer density. Like if if I'm in if I'm in states such as Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, parts of uh, parts of uh, Missouri. So why don't you just say the Whitetails Range, <laughs> <laughs> or Can- or Kentucky, or Georgia? I'm just saying I don't want to see, or I, I, I would not be hunting in these massive blocks because there's a really good chance that if it's not like an ag field that there's a lot of really great shrubs and probably adequate adequate cover yeah. out there. Fragmented. And that's what I want to I want to see hunting. diversity of vegetation types. And when I see a big old chunk of timber, I say, well, it's probably all just the same age trees. Ag land means big deer. Woo, this one is <laughs> dicey. <laughs> yeah. Um, ag, ag land certainly seems to hold and have more big deer. <coughs> Sunlight. Sorry. But Ouch. is it is it because of the crops or is it because of the land use? Mm-hmm. When you look at when you look at those areas where it's ag land, Iowa, Kansas, Illinois, yeah, they all are. I just named off three really good whitetail states: Western Kentucky. Western Ohio. What you don't, what you see is corn and soybeans, but they're not eating corn during the summer months, and it's a small window of time where there might be standing corn or spilled grain from the combine, and antlers are well, they're they're already developed. It's not like that's changing anything, um, other than lowering stress levels during the winter months, but what we're talking about is land use. There's so much energy reaching the forest or not the forest floor the soil to where there's all kinds of annual weeds and perennial plants that are within reach of the deer you don't see all the energy that's captured from the sun growing 30 foot in a tree canopy it's all right there within reach of the deer you know the other thing that i think is often misinterpreted when when you look at many of those states that are heavily ag or let's say more open landscape than a lot of the southeast and the east you often see very drastic and different regulations when it comes to hunting as well and not i'm let's just straight look at bag limits i'm not talking about timing but bag limits often vary pretty drastically from areas that are more heavily forested um have much more terrain topography features to them and so i think just by default you're getting larger deer not in part because of the ag but in part because the age structure is built into that herd itself based on state regulations yeah helps a ton 
for sure. Well, hopefully, um, man, once again, guys, if you have any of your favorite wives, sales, send them in, info at landlegacy.tv, or shoot us a message on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Um, we'd love to hear them. Shoot, we may even highlight them next week when we come back. Um, but once again, can't thank you guys enough. And, uh, yeah, Matt, appreciate you guys listening and follow along. We are rolling quickly into, uh, well, it's a lot of people probably who have already planted despite some 32, 34 degree mornings here <laughs> recently, uh, where we're at anyhow. But, um, a lot of the topics and content that you guys are going to be seeing on YouTube is going to transition into that as well as growing season. Fawns are dropping, nests are being laid broods are hatching so we're gonna have a lot of other cool content on social media videos as well as youtube so be sure to check it out and thank you guys for listening to this week's podcast